We are once again in the book of Ephesians, looking at interpersonal relationships, looking at submitting to one another. Tonight, focusing our attention on parent-child relationships. We begin by noting that we continue our consideration of submitting to authority as part of one's Christian duty. In submitting to authority, we are actually submitting to Christ. And in turn, those who are exercising authority must keep in mind that they are answerable to Christ for the manner in which they exercise that authority. Excuse me. <clears throat> Tonight we consider the submission of children to their parents' authority and how fathers are to be cautious in the manner in which they exercise that authority over their children. So our text tonight is Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As we begin uh, Ephesians chapter 6, I want to note that the term children is a reference to offspring and can be said of children of all ages. So tonight we are all somebody's child. Maybe our parents have died, but we were all at one time a child with parents. So what we're talking about is not necessarily really little children, which I think often comes to mind, but this obviously applies to teens and applies for people that are under their, their parents' household. And what we are to find is that children are to listen to their parents. The word obey, most literally translated, is hear. Hear them. Listen to them. It is more than just having outward conformity to what they tell you to do. It's more than simply if your room is dirty and they say, go clean up your room, that you go and pick up all the, the clothes and put them in a hamper. But rather, it's saying that, that we need to listen to what our parents are teaching us. It implies that there is instruction. We'll talk about more of that in uh, a bit later. But the idea here is that we are to be paying attention to what our parents are trying to communicate to us. Dobson tells the story of the defiant child who's sitting on the stool that says, I am sitting on the outside, but I am standing on the inside. Well, that's exactly the wrong kind of attitude to have. It isn't just outward adherence, but it is an inward acceptance. It's a willingness to be taught, a willingness to learn. So they're to be instructed and grow as a result of being taught by their parents. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That relationship to one's parent changes, however, 
As circumstances and age change, Ephesians 5.31, we were in that portion last week. Therefore, well, two weeks ago, last week was Fellowship Sunday. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we talked about how a husband is to love his wife and a wife is to respect her husband. So the relationship to one's parents change when we marry. But nonetheless, there is to be this respect and there is to be this listening to one's parents. Children are listening to their parents as part of child's Christian duty. Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is what's acceptable. This is what's appropriate. This is what we should do. And then I want to note that even Jesus placed himself under the authority of his parents. We have a, an account of Jesus in the temple at 12 years of age. It reads as follows. Now his parents, that's Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at the understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. But now, next our attention is drawn to Jesus' submission to his parents. Verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. What I want to point out to you is that while he was in the temple, he said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you know that, that I have to be doing what God the Father wants me to do? Having said that, what's the very next thing Jesus does? He leaves with his parents and submits himself to their authority. He was about his father's business. How does a 12-year-old child serve the Lord? What kind of ministry can they have? Jesus did not set out on the ministry of preaching and teaching when he was 12. In fact, he didn't do it until he was 30. But what does a person do? How does a person serve the Lord when they are a child? Well, the most practical way is by submitting to and honoring your parents as a way 
of submitting to and honoring the Lord. That can have all kinds of positive influences, including your parents, including your friends, including adults that look upon you and see the kind of individual that, that you are. But it's essential that we understand that, that that is a service to God in submitting to our parents. The word found in Luke 2.51 is different from the word that's found in our text. In Luke 2.51, it means to place oneself under the authority of another. In this instance, it means that Jesus recognized the authority that his parents had over him. In other words, he was obedient to them. Again, a different word. But the idea is that he followed their instruction. He did what he told them to do. When they said leave, they left. And they went home and they went to Nazareth. This, again, was a part of being about his father's business. But now I would say, don't miss the relationship to Mary pondering these things in her heart with the benefits that it brought to Christ. It says in verse 51, who went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. Mary was accustomed to treasuring up the sayings and experiences associated with Jesus. Luke 2.19. This has to do with the shepherds that come and declare what uh, happened as they were on the fields and uh, heard about the birth of the Lord Jesus. Luke 2.19 says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So she reflected. She she treasured them in the sense that she did not let them go. She did not forget about what had happened. She saw it as a blessing, and she would just go over and over in her mind as to what were the significance of these sayings and these events. What does this mean? She milked it for all that it was worth. She tried to understand who this child was that was born to her, she knew that she had been a virgin. She knew the promises that he'd be the son of God. But, but what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, Luke 2.51 says, and mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now we have Luke chapter 2, verse 52. As a part of Jesus' increasing in wisdom resulted from his submissiveness to his parents and instruction. And Jesus increased in wisdom. Jesus increased in wisdom. Where did that come from? In what sense did he increase in wisdom? How did he learn more from these events that were taking place in his life as a child of 12? Well, one of the things we find in the book of Hebrews tells us that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Of course, that primarily has to do with the cross and all the sacrifices that went up to it, but it also includes the idea as a child of being submissive to his parents and as 
Mary treasured these things up in her heart, I would submit to you that she taught Jesus. Great truths. And about the angelic visits. About the things that were said to her. What Simeon had said. About his Aunt Elizabeth. His cousin John. And what role he would play. All these things Mary knew and treasured them up in her heart. We should see the succession of these verses. They, they lead us in a direction that is absolutely consistent with what the Word of God teaches us about the role of a child and a parent. Jesus is experiencing these benefits. These benefits. Um, I'm going to say it in the future, but I just want to stop here and just note what a benefit, what a blessing that God gave to Jesus in giving him Joseph and Mary as parents. We are told in Luke chapter 2 verse 41 in saying how his parents went to Jerusalem every year. This was not an oddity. This was not an outlier that when he was 12, they just happened to be in the temple. Every year they went to the temple. Every year. They were faithful. They presented him as a child to be dedicated to the Lord. God did not see fit for him to be born in a palace. He was born in a stable. But every event and circumstance of Jesus' life was overseen by the sovereign God the Father. And God's will was being accomplished in Jesus' life. The greatest preparation for Jesus' childhood was not where he was born, but who his parents were. And the way in which God had prepared the parents to minister to Jesus, to care for Jesus, to aid Jesus, and in actuality, enable Jesus to do what the Father had required of him. So we move on and say that children of all ages are to value their parents. Ephesians 6.2, honor your father and mother. Honor. That word honor literally means to value. To value, to appreciate, to see their worth. To see what a blessing it is when God gives us godly parents. So now we find out the grown children are to value their parents, their elderly parents. 1 Timothy 5.3, honor widows who are truly widows. This is instruction for the church. So honor those who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. So it is the grown children's responsibility to care for a widowed mother. 
It is primarily the responsibility of the child as opposed to the church. That is what children do. Children are to honor, they're to care for their aged parents. And again, to honor one's parents by caring for them is a part of one's Christian duty. Now notice what it says in verse 4 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. But if a woman has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. It's referring to the parents. That that is a primary responsibility and duty and function. There is no higher calling than to care for one's aged parents. And it is in keeping with godlikeness. Godliness. Remember that word means godlikeness. This is what God does. This is what God serves by caring for others, and we are to be caring for our adult parents. That is part of honoring them. Such care for one's parents is what God desires. Notice verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. God delights in that. God finds favor in that. God says, well done. That's good. If you are caring for your, your godly parents. Again, looking at the example of Jesus. Jesus provided for his mother, Mary, prior to his death, by charging John to care for Mary as a son should care for his mother. Now here we have the scene of Jesus hanging on the cross. His mother, Mary, is at the foot of the cross. John 19, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, he's not referring to himself. He's referring to the Apostle John. Then he said to the disciple, verse 27, Behold your mother. That's how we know that. He said to Mary, look at your son. He said to John, look at your mother. He was charging John with the care of Mary. Evidently, Joseph has died at this point, or something has happened to Joseph. He's off the scene. Jesus is about to die, and now he transfers this responsibility that he has to care for his mother, but notice that he fulfills that responsibility up to his dying breath. While he's hanging on the cross, he's thinking about his God-given responsibility to care for his mother. For he is righteous, he never sins, he commits no sin, and he omits no obedience. So he does all that is required of him, including caring for his parents. And now notice what verse 27 says of John 19, 27. 
But he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own house. From that moment, she's now living with the Apostle John. He's caring for her. He's watching over her. He's protecting her. This was Jesus' obedience on the cross. We think of all the actions that, that Jesus took. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All of the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And we often do the seven sayings on the cross when we have our Good Friday service. But rarely do we view this saying on the cross with the same kind of respect and appreciation and consideration when we think of the simple statement that he makes, woman, behold thy son, and to the disciple, behold your mother, and from that time on, he cares for her. But that's how important it is. That's how central it is. That's how godly it is. That's the example of Jesus. When he's 12, of all the things that we'd love to know about Jesus. Have you ever wondered what his childhood must have been like? His experiences, his thoughts, his process. You know, the Bible is silent about the first 11 years, and it's silent about years 13 through 30. We know nothing. The only thing we know about Jesus' early life is that he submitted to his parents. That's the only thing that we're told. That's how important it is that we know that. And that's how important it is that Jesus did it. Moving on. To care for one's parents should not be viewed as a difficult obligation, but rather as a wonderful privilege. Mary was entrusted to John because Jesus loved John. This wasn't a punishment. This wasn't a burden that he was placing upon John. He was giving him the privilege of caring for Jesus' mother. Mary's being entrusted to John was to be a blessing both to Mary and to John. It was to be a mutual benefit. I have here a personal illustration. Uh, I'll come back to that. Next, Jesus pleased God, the Father, by placing himself under the authority of Jesus' parents. Luke 2.52, back to when Jesus is 12 years old. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. So he grew physically, he grew taller. That shouldn't surprise us. He was a baby. Eventually he grows to be tall. But... Now we have these words, and in favor with God. And in favor with God. He increased in the way in which the Father looked on him with pleasure. The Father is delighting in Jesus. And what is he doing that his father is delighting in? Answer, honoring, submissing to his parents. And why that brings 
favor to God because in doing so, he's honoring his father. The one whom Jesus must be about his business. He's doing the very thing that the father wants him to do. And so he's pleased as Jesus is continually submitting himself to the authority of his, parent, of his parents. Next, there are benefits to be had in honoring one's parents. For it says in Ephesians 6, 2, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So what a blessing and head start it is to, in life, to have godly parents. Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. What a wonderful privilege it has to have godly parents. I had that privilege. I had two very godly, committed, Christ-honoring parents. They weren't perfect, but they certainly loved the Lord, and they wanted to serve Him. And they did so in extremely practical ways. And as a result, I had some incredible head starts in life. One of them, as I've told you before, my mother was a really gifted Bible teacher. She loved to read. She loved to read the scriptures. She memorized the scriptures. She really could teach the scriptures. She would do ladies' Bible studies, as I told you uh, before, that we used to, in those days, have a women's class and a men's class in the sanctuary. And in reality, everybody listened to my mother because she had a loud voice and they wanted to hear what she had to say. And uh, people eavesdropped because she was just a great, great teacher. Well, I benefited from that. Every, every single night before I went to bed, my mother would start off by reading me Bible stories and explaining them to me and then eventually moving on to the scriptures and just sitting down and studying with me every night the word of God. I can't tell you what a head start that was. How much of the Bible I knew as a child because of the amount of time my mother poured into me. Told you the example of my father. When I was a student in college, wanting to be a minister, and uh, I was working, uh, gonna be working at Victory Valley. And uh, my dad said, what are you gonna be doing before you go to the valley? I, I was in college, I think I was done like the second or third week in May, and the valley didn't start to the end of June. And I said, well, I, I, you know, I need to earn some money for, for college. I'm going to try to find some kind of job that will see me from May to the end of June. My dad said to me, if you'll take it as a job, if you will spend the day like you were working at a, as a position to simply study and memorize the scriptures, I'll pay you. So I worked with my dad for that period of time who just enabled me to study and to learn the scriptures. Those are the kind of parents that I had, and they had a profound influence on me. And the, the passage says that in uh, 
uh, Ephesians. Oops. Got too many pages up here. Don't have it right in front of me, but it's 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 uh, to to pay them back. In essence, is is what the what the word says. Well, what I want to tell you is that I had another wonderful privilege as a child, and that was I, I witnessed my parents caring for my grandfather. My grandfather uh, had dementia. They called it hardening of the arteries in that day. He probably had Alzheimer's. Runs in the family. My father had Alzheimer's. My grandfather had Alzheimer's. He came to live with us. You need to know that they farmed my dad out when he was 10. From the time that he was 10 years old, he didn't live with his parents. But when his parents needed him, we opened our house and he lived with us. And I saw how my mother and father were devoted to him when he was not even right in his own mind. What an example. What a blessing to learn as a young child what it means to honor your parents. They modeled it. They demonstrated it. They showed it to me. And I didn't have to think twice when my father came down with Alzheimer's and needed to move in with us that that's the right thing to do. That's that's part of the ministry. That's part of your Christian duty and responsibility. I had no choice. But not only did I have no choice, it was a joy. But I say that advisedly because my, because my father had Alzheimer's. And he was really difficult to deal with at times. And it really wasn't myself who cared for him. It was my wife. And it was my father that she's caring for. And she sacrificed immensely. But I tell you, that is a blessing to my children. So remember, when I come down with Alzheimer's, <laughs> what your duty and responsibility is. All right? This is really what this whole sermon's about. Okay? <laughs> but, the, but the reality is that there are these generational benefits, blessings that come through exemplary conduct and of honoring one's father and mother and as you do that you are exalting and honoring Christ it is so sad so sad that so many women say that it is difficult for them to think of God as a father because of the kind of father that they had that that takes on a negative connotation God the Father, because they had a father that was miserable and irritable and, and uh, perhaps even, even abusive. What a wonderful blessing if the connotation of a father is a positive connotation. If you see that as warmth, as you see that as care, <laughs> as you see that as love, as you see that as protection, as you see that as goodness. That truly honors God the Father. 
And that's what we're to learn from this. Even as we saw last week that marriage is to show the relationship of Christ and the church and glorify that, our families are to reflect our obedience as children to a heavenly father. And we are to honor his name. Hallowed be thy name. So the implications are, are vast. Fathers are not to abuse their authority over their children. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers do not provoke your children to anger. In the word, in the Greek, provoke to anger is one word. It's found in Romans 10.19 But I ask, did not Israel understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. So we are to be careful that we are not conducting ourselves, that we are causing our children to be angry. The word provoke in our text is different than the word translated into English as provoke in the book of Colossians. You may think it's the exact same thing, but it's not. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice the two different outcomes. One says, lest they be angered. This one says, lest they be discouraged. Fathers, Colossians and the Aeneas says, do not exasperate your children. I think that's a, a wonderful translation of this word to provoke in Colossians. Do not exasperate your children so they will not lose hearts. In Colossians, fathers are not to frustrate their children. One does that by requiring or demanding too much so that the child gives up, lest they become discouraged or that they will not lose heart. We must not place a burden on our children that's greater than what they can carry. We don't want to break their spiritual backs, as it were. So we, we need to be sensitive. We, we need to be caring. And in our text, the idea is that fathers must be on guard against creating a spirit of anger or rebellion in a child by the abuse of authority to provoke them to anger, to provoke them to rebellion. We are to be conducting ourselves in such a way is that our children want to serve you. I apologize tonight for all the personal illustrations and Maybe they mean nothing to you, but they mean a lot to me. And the greatest motivation as a teenager that I had for doing what was right was that I didn't want to disappoint my father. I should have had a higher motivation that I didn't want to disappoint my heavenly father. But the reality is, truthfully, I respected my dad so much, I didn't want him to be disappointed in me. One time in my entire life, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, I had done something, and all that my dad said to me was, Cal, I'm really disappointed in you. That cut me to the heart. I can't think of anything that you could have said to me that would have brought greater pain. 
I wanted to please my father. I, I wanted my father to think well of me. We need to instill that kind of relationship into our children because ultimately, you see, it should teach us how to respond to our Heavenly Father. There should be no greater fear in our hearts and our minds that our Heavenly Father might be disappointed in us. We should obey out of love, not out of fear, not out of consequence, not out of afraid of getting spanked. I'm not saying there's a place for that. But what I'm telling you is that we are to instill within our children that kind of relationship so that they can transfer that to their Heavenly Father. For what is the greatest joy that the Bible lays out for the child of God? What's the greatest delight that we are going to ever experience now or in eternity? Answer, to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. There will be nothing more joyous than for our Heavenly Father to say, well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. And there should be nothing more joyful in the heart of a child than to hear the honest praise of their parents. Well done. You did well. I'm proud of you. But make that genuine, make that real. <laughs> make that about things that you really can be proud of and that really should be rewarded and encouraged so that they go in the right way. For the authority that fathers exercise is to be consistent with the authority that Christ gives. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, the word discipline is literally the word training. We are to be training our children about how to live. We are to be preparing them to go out on their own. And that means much more, not less than, how to balance a checkbook and, and how to provide and the importance of work and all those things, but far greater than, than those. It's training them in spiritual discipline. It's training them in the scriptures, how, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, about our Christian duty, about modeling our children to get them ready for marriage. What's the greatest way to prepare your children for marriage, to model a godly marriage before them? To be living how a husband treats his wife and how a wife treats her husband. To see it is worth 20 Bible studies on the word submission and the word love. But on a day-to-day -day basis, as they experience it and learn how to respond to their wife in difficult times, in hardships, and how dad showed love 
to mom and how mom respected dad. That's all a part of the training of getting them ready for life. Preparing them. And the word instruction literally means a warning. It's guarding them. So we are to be training, preparing, getting them ready, and at the same time protecting them. Keeping them from the difficulties and hardships of life. If we can understand discipline in that way, if we can understand parental guidance and authority in that way, that we use our authority to, to train, to develop, to mature into a real godly lifestyle and a mature Christian in their faith doing all that God would have them to do and are protecting them from the harms and the dangers spiritually and physically, watching over them and protecting them. Believe me, you will not be angering them. But they will rise up. And in Proverbs 31, of a godly marriage, a godly mother, they will praise her. And her husband will speak well of her in the gates, publicly. So in conclusion, the Christian family is to be a training ground. It's preparatory. And it's important that we do it well. So much so that when we get to the epistles, we find out that one of the qualifications for an elder is that they rule their household well. Why? So that they can exercise authority in the church the same way they exercise it in their home. Loving, caring, training, guarding and protecting. It's not about themselves. It's about those that they have charge over. Those that they are having under their care. May God give us a real sense of nurture, of caring for our children. And may our children learn to appreciate their parents. Listen to what they're saying. Admire their sacrifice. Appreciate what they do for you. And if God has blessed you with godly parents, try to be like them. Keep the faith. Honor your parents. In so doing, you'll honor the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us, I pray, to have godly families. Give us the right motives in the exercise of authority. Give us respect as children and as parents. Give us real love for our children. May we exercise our authority under the authority of the Lord Jesus. May we follow not only the teaching of Jesus, but even the example of his own life. As we see Jesus taking seriously the instruction of your word and actually doing what your word instructs us to do. Even as he is our model, help us to be a model for others. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.